Do you ever feel like the world is giving you mixed messages? I do. All the time. Like, be professional. Here's how to appear professional, how to talk professional, how to write a letter or an email that's professional. Here's, here's how, an example of professional correspondence. At the same time, be yourself. Feel free to show the world who you truly are and uh, tap into that creative self, uh, you know, in the way that you present yourself to the world. And I, I don't think that they, honestly, I don't think they can coexist. I think it's binary. Because what if you're a goofball? I'm kind of a goofball. When people really get to know me and we're past the point of uh, feeling like, oh, can I open up to this person or can't I? If I feel like I can, you're going to find out that I'm kind of a goofball. I kind of uh, straightforward in my wording. You know, I don't, I'm not diplomatic when it comes to asking for things that I, I need on a project, you know, and it's just like, a lot of the way I am is misconstrued as being unprofessional when really I'm just not covering up sort of my operation with nonsensical processes, protocols, and language. Uh, I'm more into sort of an honest approach. And so I was thinking about that over the past week and kind of what it means what professionalism actually means and it's not the first time i've thought about professionalism back in 2013 i thought about it a great deal because back in 2013 some really unprofessional shit went down on a production that i was directing and i took the brunt of sort of all of the windfall of, of that the, the bad windfall uh, uh and so not something I'm going to talk about on this podcast, don't worry. It's kind of a stressful topic. And I think that's something down the road when I could have sort of a foil to ask me questions about it and sort of help me unpack it a little bit. But um, we can't have guests right now because of social distancing. And I'm really not into the idea of having guests through Zoom or telephone. I don't like the way it sounds on a podcast. So I'm not going to talk about that production anytime soon until I can have somebody to talk about it with. Um, but I could talk about sort of this idea of professionalism, and I can talk about what it means to a, a creative person like myself who kind of banks on being a bit of a, a goofball and a, and, and, and a bit of an outside-of-the-box thinker and somebody who's sort of kind of operating at a different level than somebody who would dare put on a suit a tie a sports jacket uh, and some shiny shoes and head into town with a newspaper folded up under their arm uh, that's certainly not me uh, I, I work with a lot of those types of people uh, certainly depend on them to a, a great deal to make my business work but here's the thing that's not me so when somebody expects me to be professional I really don't know how to interpret it you know I dress like a civilian, I, you know, I dress like it's always Saturday, <laughs> for the most part. Uh, there's a reason I, I make a conscious effort to work from home as much as possible. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things that society hasn't quite figured out 
how to communicate or even figured out how you know where it stands it's it, it, it's like politics you've got one side who's who says it's one thing and you get the other side who says it's the other thing i don't know what it is but uh i think professional to me it's a veil it's it's a it's a veil to cover up our humanity to cover up our weaknesses it's a presentation of strength even if the strength isn't there it's a presentation of cleanliness even if cleanliness isn't really there it's a presentation of a way of being so that your clients see you as one of them even if you're not um, for better or for worse so but I think about it a lot because there's also you know touching on that production from 2013 there were a lot of moves made against the production by members of the actors union to them what they were doing was considered the professional way to deal with to me I saw it as unprofessional because there were a lot of grievances that they could have easily dealt with like in a matter of minutes if they had just come to me and said hey I'm having an issue with this but instead they would go to their union and then they would complain and then their unions would launch an investigation on the production and then it become a full-blown fucking nightmare and so but I you know even though I see it as professional them and their unions see it as the professional way to go so there's also biases there's there's opinions about whether or not that was professional I don't think it was professional at all all these years later, I, I, it still doesn't sit well with me. And someday, when I do a podcast about that production, whew, you're going to understand why. Anyway, I was thinking about professionalism too because I was thinking a lot about LinkedIn. You guys know that that social media platform, LinkedIn. I'm on it. It's the only one I'm on, really. I quit Twitter, as you know, if you've been listening. Uh, I quit Instagram. I quit Facebook a couple of years ago. Um, I even made sure they don't allow me to re-sign up. I said, don't let me sign up again. And they red flagged me because when I tried to sign up again as a test, they, <laughs> they wouldn't let me. Um, so I'm off. I'm off all the major ones except for LinkedIn because uh, my life's my work. So it makes sense for me to kind of focus on this one. Um, but I was thinking, I was thinking about ways... LinkedIn could better serve artists who don't fit inside the professional sort of box. Think about it. LinkedIn is very much structured for the typical resume, for the typical commuting worker. You have your experience, which is your work experience. Maybe some of your internship experience if you've done an internship. Oh, come on. You hear that? Fix your muffler. Uh, and then you have your education, which is fine. I have my education. I have all of my education so far. My master's, my BA, my film school. I have two vocational high schools plus my regular high school. And then I have licenses and certifications. And then I got my volunteer experience. Then I've got skills and recommendations. I've got accomplishments and general interests, which usually aren't accurate because if you apply to a job on LinkedIn, they automatically 
make that company part of your interests, which is super weird. And I usually have to un undo that aspect of it because I don't want to be known for following companies that aren't my clients. Uh, okay, so let's talk about how LinkedIn could better serve artists. See, I, I don't know how to explain it, uh, except to me, for me to ramble. So just kind of bear with me here because I've been thinking about it all weekend. I knew this was going to be the podcast to start the week. Um, I even slept in and delayed my normal output time so I could think about it a little longer. But here's the thing. Pursuing a life as a practicing artist is one of the most difficult endeavors a person can embark on. That's just a fact of the matter. The world isn't structured for art, the art life. And from a professional standpoint, we're often interpreted as technicians of craft more than the practicing creators that we actually are. This in turn changes the way art is taught in schools. It's not taught as art, but as craft that can be converted into monetary compensation. At which point it doesn't become art. It just becomes a craft that's been traded. And so there's, there's some resentment towards the reality that artists are sort of, real artists are sort of programmed differently. For example, a listing for a freelance graphic artist or a freelance videographer will often stipulate no artists, no filmmakers. I see this all the time. Maybe a restaurant is looking to create a commercial or a video for their website or YouTube channel, and they'll say, no filmmakers, just videographers. It means they're looking for straight craftsmen, no free-thinking, creative thought allowed to be integrated into what it is that they want or think they want. Uh, this is one of the subtle ways, or, or not so subtle ways, um, that the world is hostile to the arts. There's many, many other ways that the world is hostile to the arts, and I talk about, I tackle that subject extensively in my other work, including my, my current work in progress feature film, Fractals. But, you know, how those other really brutal examples uh, are for those mediums, not this podcast. This podcast is strictly for kind of the way clients are brutal. And so one of the reasons the art life is so difficult to achieve is because it doesn't fit into the cookie cutter format that comes with getting into literally any other industrial sector. How we become credentialed, establish financing, and prove ourselves it's more brutal than any other. Additionally, once an artist has found an ingress into having a sustainable life in the arts, that route is closed off because everybody else will be trying to cram through it, essentially blocking the doorway for, for themselves. As a creator who has abandoned all social media, sans YouTube and LinkedIn, I have thought a lot about how social platforms could better normalize the art life and provide options for individuals who want to present themselves as artists to the professional world. In order for this to be achieved, some optional sections to the LinkedIn layout would need to be made available. 
my logic, of course, is that people respond to authority and more likely to accept an outside-the-box form if it's regarded as another option from a platform they're already familiar with. After all, the resume of an artist is not the resume of a Wall Street trader and damn well shouldn't be. So if an authority like LinkedIn could say, hey, here's an artist profile. It has all the sections filled out that we say should be filled out. And therefore, this artist is a great example of a good candidate. That that would go a long way to make that outside the box thinker a viable choice for that employer. Right now on LinkedIn, we have two options for experience, as I explained earlier, employment experience and education background. These are staples of any resume. I have both of them filled out, packed to a T with everything I could think of that I've done. All my clients, all the classes I ever took, the, the degrees I've earned, my certifications, my three high school diplomas. Yes, I have three. Two from a vocational high school, one from a regular high school a public high school. The problem is that with the art life, some of the most valuable experience comes from special events that transcend the typical employment sector, but are just as important as any other type of experience. We might have gallery exhibitions, film festival screenings, award shows where nominations matter almost as much as winning, residencies, and the consistent practice of craft across a multitude of mediums. Now you might say, well, you could just put residencies under education or experience, or you could put the film festivals and the gallery exhibitions under either. Well, I mean, yeah, you could, but that's not the point. The point is to say, hey, these are different, but they matter and therefore should have their own sections. So the most ideal way to integrate this information into the LinkedIn platform would be to have optional sections for, of course, residencies, exhibitions, and awards. Exhibitions being the overall section where you would include film festivals, gallery openings, and so on. Anyway, that's, that's what I've been thinking about all weekend. I, uh, we need to normalize the different way artists do business because the world is hostile to the arts and if we can make it a little less hostile by making it making the platforms we use a little more open to our unique approach to doing things that that would be ideal and then maybe that would go towards you know not giving us mixed messages about thinking outside the box, but also being professional. It reminds me of a conversation that I had during the production of Fractals where, and I may have mentioned this in previous podcasts, but where like in an agency where, it, where it's a creative agency and all of your people are asked to be very creative. But whenever they, when somebody does something, tr submits something truly creative, the client will come back with, well, it's just not professional enough. Because <laughs> the, the idea is, when they say creative, they just want something that wows them. They don't really want something creative. What wows them is something sleek 
and sort of conform to their professional standards and usually not creative at all because it's being modeled after what maybe some of their competitors are doing. And, um, and, and, I, and I found too, a lot of the people that run a lot of the projects like that tend to not really know what creativity actually is or what it means and has to be told, hey, you know, this is really creative. Oh, it is? I had no idea. I just thought it was unprofessional. <laughs> so anyway, um, we'll talk about that some other time. That's, that was the, a bit of a, a serious opening subject matter for this podcast today. And uh, I don't know how to wrap it up. I, I've only done like, what, 15, 16 minutes here? You know, I've been writing a screenplay. I've been writing many screenplays. I, my goal by the end of the year is to just have completed all of my oldest work in progress screenplays. I have so many. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how many because it's just so overwhelming. But if I have my way, I'll have seven or eight completed. And then I can move on to working on the ones that are just still in early, early development. I, uh, I was going to do it over the summer, but then I actually ended up making my movie. So now I'm doing it now. Anyway, I'm going to... Uh, can you guys tell me... Tell me something. How are unpaid... Parking permits. How does how does not having paid your parking permits to a college go into not having a degree? I was thinking about that uh, because of um, one of the screenplays I'm writing is set on a college campus, and one of, one of the things that they're talking about is in the student handbook. There's a scene where the students are dissecting a student handbook. And like many colleges, they, f they figure out that their college won't award your degree, won't award an earned degree if you have unpaid parking tickets through the campus security. Which means you could have paid your tuition, you could have gone straight A's in all of your classes and really legitimately earned your fucking degree. But if you have, even if one unpaid parking ticket, they'll hold your degree from being released. I, I don't even know how that's fucking legal. That just sounds so phenomenally wrong to me. Uh, and they shouldn't be within the same, at the very least, you know, there, there, there are options for that college to come after them for unpaid tickets, but at the same, you know, and it shouldn't be holding your, your degree hostage, which you've worked really hard for. That's always, that's always bothered me about the college system. Uh, anyway, that's, that's one of the things that I'm tackling with this screenplay because I'm really, I'm a real big proponent of higher education, but I'm not a proponent of just how much of it is about money. And so, yeah, that's what's going on on this end. Just writing these screenplays. We have three screenplays about growing up. One of them's done. I'm just waiting for some feedback before I, you know, cross the T's and dot the I's uh, for my sister. 
And then I got another one um, about middle school where I'm taking all of the events that happened to me for three years and I'm combining them into one year. And I'm saying, you know, fictionalizing the story as one year. Here's our character and all the shit that took place. There, and it's a lot of shit. And I did the same thing with the, with the script. I just finished. I took three years and I combined it into uh, one, one season, actually, winter and spring. So sort of the one semester of a fifth grade year. And then the third script about growing up is actually about my teenage years. And that's set over the course of the summer. No school at all. Just summer. That one is a little more fun. A lot less dramatic. But there's some drama. There's some love drama. Of course. Teenage years. And, uh, yeah. What else? Got the college script here. I got, uh, Got an action, legal movie, sort of a legalese action drama. <laughs> uh, very kinetic, kind of all over the East Coast type of thing. Things happening at the same time. That's pretty dense. And then uh, I have some short films that I want to make, but can't really get people on board right now. Having trouble, having trouble with that. Uh, we might, We might get locked down again here in New York. That sucks. They're, they're thinking about doing it neighborhood by neighborhood. Um, because some neighborhoods aren't complying. And when the city sends out people to sort of hand out masks and sort of talk about how cases are up in, the, in that specific neighborhood, people just yell, black, yell, yell back at them things like Black Lives Matter or shut the F up, N-word. And it's just like... I understand things that there are certain things that are important to different people, but getting this virus in check until we can get a cure out there should be at the top of everyone's list in the moment. And I understand that like passions, you know, catch fire and people just can't hold in it anymore. I totally get that, you know, but we really got to nip this in the bud because we don't got, we don't have leadership at the federal level who gives a crap so we have to give a crap it's really important uh, hey I noticed somebody from Germany listening in listened on the last one or the one before the last one how you doing out there are you in Munich are you in Berlin danke <laughs> I love Germany I spent two weeks in Munich I snuck onto the onto the lot of the Bavaria Film Studios and visited the sets of The Neverending Story and Das Boot, which were both filmed there. Uh, and uh, man, they had the best the best food, the best chocolate. And I want to go back. Uh, so greetings, Germany. Greetings from New York City, United States. Thanks for listening. I hope you I hope you come back. And uh, send me, send people, people, come on, send me your feedback, send me some questions, send me some ideas to tackle. I'm here alone during the coronavirus lockdown. I don't have any clients because nobody wants to come back to work yet, or they're being very, very careful about their productions, and it's taking much longer to get going than I anticipated. So I'm here recording podcasts by myself without guests, 
I have lots of knowledge from years of experience. I've lots of creative projects I'm doing. Uh, I can help you. I can help you get. I can help you get going. But I don't know. I, I don't 100% know where to start because I don't know where you're at. Tell me where you are at. What you need. What do you want? What's what are some questions that I can tackle for you? And I'll see what I can do. I don't guarantee I'll have the answers for specifically your situation, but maybe I can, you know, give you a nudge in the right direction. And uh, this next this next notice, I'm going to be putting on set the several podcasts moving forward. I'll maybe I'll introduce introduce the next podcast with this, but I end end it with this one because. Uh, I really, really, really want to locate this missing movie. There's a movie that I watched. We were shown this independent homemade film when I was in th- in the sixth grade. Uh, one of the this teacher's assistants brought it in and showed it to us. And it was about a mad scientist who sort of makes makes a potion that creates an oversized monstrous lobster. And the lobster comes out of the ocean and attacks the seaside village. And it was really badly done. And it was made uh, in Portland, Maine. Or in the southern Maine area. And I remember it had former WBLM morning show host Mark Persky as one of the actors. And some years back, I asked, I called, I had Mark record some some voiceovers for a couple of my movies uh, over the past, you know, 20 years. And I remember the last time I spoke to Mark on the phone, I asked him about it. I said, hey, what's up with that, that movie you were in with the big giant lobster attack in the village? And he said that it was a movie called Lobster Roy, that he doesn't have a copy of it. He doesn't know where to get a copy of it. And that the guy who made it died in jail or something like that. If I remember correctly, I could be mis- I could be misremembering it, but I think the person who brought the movie in lived on Peaks Island, Maine, and uh, this was in the mid '90s and uh, early to mid '90s because I was in the sixth grade, so we were approaching the mid '90s. But uh, if anybody from the Southern Maine area or anywhere knows about this movie, Lobster Roy, reach out to me. If you, know, if you happen to know where a copy could be acquired, because I would love to archive this thing and then put it out for public exhibition, maybe on YouTube. Because uh, this is one of those missing gems that I feel like needs to be restored and put out there. Lobster Roy, Peaks Island, Maine, Portland, Maine, General Southern Maine, with Mark Persky. You know, I remember a scene. I remember a very specific, weird sort of scene that kind of started started me out on thinking about how movies are made. Because they go into this small lighthouse-looking building called the Portland Observatory. Um, it's a small red, red-like-looking lighthouse, but it's in downtown Portland. 
in Maine, not Portland, Oregon. And uh, it cuts to inside, but the inside wasn't the inside of the Portland Observatory because they were riding up these sort of gold-rimmed escalators. It turned out that the inside was filmed at one city center, which was also a building I was familiar with because that's there were a lot of eateries there. And so that sort of trick cutting where it, they go in one building and then they're inside a completely different building. I remember that was the first time I was just like, oh, you can do that. <laughs> um, of course, it would be a few more years before I got around to actually making movies myself, but yeah, well, guys, this was a good podcast. Uh, I think I'm going to follow a new format moving forward. I think my Monday podcasts slash Tuesday, Tuesdays, uh, my early week podcasts are going to be more serious subject matters. And then the podcast at the latter half, mid to latter half of the week will be uh, more fun. Because I really liked reading The Alternative last time when I read from that screenplay I wrote in high school. That was a good time. And I'd like to do that again. Uh, stuff like that on a more consistent basis, I think. I can't promise you that they'll always be fun. But I'm going to try. Because life is about balance. And therefore, should, so should my output of work. Anyway, uh, don't forget to uh, subscribe if you're listening to this on YouTube or uh, whatever podcast outlet you found this on. And uh, I, I take donations through Anchor if you want to help support the podcast. If you want to help support me as a general artist, um, I need patrons. And I'm on Patreon. So find me on Patreon. My website is www.ericnorcross.com, E-R-I-C-N-O-R-C-R-O-S-S.com, and there's a link to my Patreon there. Uh, and, uh, yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs>